I'm your host, Anna Shooping, and welcome back to Brain Candy. I hope you enjoyed our first test episode, and episodes from now on will be longer and filled with more fun facts, games, jokes, and much more. If you're new here, the rules of the game are simple. Me and a co-host, usually one of my friends, will quiz adults to see how much they know about the world around us. And today's topic is... Outer space. And for this super fun and interesting theme, I am joined with my friend, cousin, and co-host, Samantha. Hey! But that's not all. Today we also have a very special guest and contestant here with us, NASA astronomer Ralph! Hi, I'm so glad to be here on your podcast. This is going to be super fun. And so... I'm a, I'm a research astronomer at the Space Science Institute, and I work on a variety of projects uh, related to astronomy and astrophysics. Awesome. Thanks for joining us here today. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions before we start our first round? Sure. What would you say the best part of your job is? I would say the best part uh, of my job of being an astronomer um, is working on interesting problems. I've, ever since I was a kid, I've always really enjoyed um, trying to understand the world around us and the, and the universe and the sky. And being an astronomer allows me to work on problems related to that. And, um, and it's very fulfilling. It's, it's fun. Sometimes it's really frustrating. Um, but most of the time, it's pretty fun. Okay, I have a question. What's the most interesting project you've worked on as a NASA astronomer? Um, probably the most interesting project that I worked on was uh, a project called SOFIA, and that's the Stratospheric Observatory for Infrared Astronomy. Uh, it's basically a, a big 747 aircraft uh, with a telescope in the back uh, that we fly at about 45,000 feet to observe uh, the night sky. And... Um, it was, it was a long project. It was really, really um, had a lot of technical challenges. Um, I helped work on the, uh, the archival system and the data collection system and the, um, and the data pipelining system. And, uh, and so it was very rewarding to be able to, uh, to work on such, a, such an amazing project um, and to help build tools and, uh, and, and infrastructure that would help other scientists uh, do their work with the observatory. Wow, that's really interesting. Now, before we start, I have a little joke for you all. How do you throw a party in space? I don't know. How do you throw a party in space? You plan it! <laughs> Man, I do love canned laughter to go alongside my corny jokes. But now to the trivia round. Are you ready? I'm ready. Bring it on. Okay, so I'm going to say three statements, and only one of them is true. Your job is to tell which one is the truth. Let's go. Number one, Venus is one of the windiest planets in our solar system, but over millions of years, the wind speed will slowly decrease until it is just a light breeze. Number two, there's a canyon on Mars that is so big, it can fit all of Canada in it. And lastly, number three, recent math shows that there's something called a white hole, which is basically the opposite of black hole, is possible. Those were the three statements. And while Ralph picks his answer, play along at home. Which one do you think it is? A 
Okay, time's up. Do you have your answer? I think I do. I'm going to go with number three, the white hole. You are? Correct. Good job. So, so what was your thought process for that one? Well, so, um, so I, I know that Venus is one of the windiest planets, but I could not um, figure out like what process or what physical um, effect could cause the wind to slow down over time. There's really no reason that I could think of for that to happen. So, so number one didn't sound right. For number two, the crater on Mars that's so big uh, that you can fit all of Canada in, in it, I wasn't totally sure. Like it seems possible that there might be a crater on Mars with that Canada would fit into. So I wasn't really totally sure about that one. That was kind of a, um, that one was a little bit of a toss up for me. But number three, um, about math showing that, you know, a white hole is possible. I know that's actually true because Einstein did that math or Einstein and uh, another um, physicist named uh, Rosen uh, did the math on that. And it's pretty well known and, and it's very exciting. And, and so I, I was pretty sure that, that the white hole one was, was correct. Whoa, very nice. So for the first statement, the one about Venus's wind is not true. Although it is a very windy planet, Venus will get more windy over time, not less windy. As for the second statement, it is also not true, but it is pretty close. The biggest crater on Mars is only around the size of America, not Canada, but that's still pretty huge. Scientists say it was formed by volcanic activity on Mars's crust. Final statement is actually true. A white hole is the opposite of a black hole in the sense that instead of sucking things in and not letting them out, like a black hole does, it lets matter and light escape from within, but nothing can enter it. We haven't found one yet, but science and math do say it's possible. This brings up a lot of questions. For example, could black holes and white holes be connected somehow? I guess we'll have to wait and see what science tells us. Now, before we move on to the second round, I have a fun fact. Did you know that volcanoes on Pluto, instead of spewing lava like the ones here on Earth, actually spit out ice wow that's cool yeah that's pretty amazing isn't it There's, i i happen to know that those are known as cryovolcanoes cryo meaning ice fancy words <laughs> and you can actually find those on on other moons and planets in the solar system as well so it's it, it's a pretty amazing um pretty amazing effect that we see in various places in the solar system yeah okay now it's time for Round two. All right, number one. Jupiter is home to the largest ocean in our solar system, but it's not actually made of water. It's made of metallic liquid nitrogen, and that's definitely not a place I want to go swimming. Number two. If Earth didn't have an atmosphere, stars wouldn't appear to twinkle in the night sky like they do. And number three, neutron stars can spin at a rate of 600 rotations per millisecond. All right, guys, those were the three. Which one do you think is the truth? And time's up. Which one is the true story? Well, this, this one's a little bit tough. I, I'm pretty sure number one about the ocean on Jupiter that's made up of liquid nitrogen is not true. I, I know a little bit about the structure of Jupiter, 
and I don't think there's any liquid metallic nitrogen there. So I'm going to rule that one out. Um, number two, I happen to know that if the Earth didn't have an atmosphere, stars would not twinkle. I'm pretty sure that's right. But number three, neutron stars can spin at a rate of 600 rotations per millisecond. I know neutron stars can spin really fast, but I don't know if they can spin 600 times per millisecond. So I'm going to go with number two. You got that correct. Nice. Nice job. Um, so the explanations for these questions, you basically already explained it. But for the first sta statement, Jupiter does have the largest ocean in the solar system. So that is correct. Um, but it's made of my made out of uh, liquid hydrogen, not nitrogen. Definitely still not a place I want to go swimming. For sure. The second one is correct. As we said, if we had no atmosphere, stars wouldn't appear to twinkle. Stars twinkle because Earth's atmosphere disrupts the light passing through, which creates this cool phenomenon. We wouldn't be able to see the non-blinking stars, however, because our atmosphere is what keeps us alive. And about statement three, this one is a hard one, but neutron stars can only spin at a rate of 600 rotations per second, not milliseconds. But that's still pretty fast, so you are exactly right. Ralph, can you quickly explain to us and our listeners what a neutron star is? Yeah, so a neutron star is a, is a really bizarre kind of object, and to, to understand what it is... Um, you have to know a little bit about um, the building blocks of our universe. We all know that, you know, all the material around us, you know, wood, metal, everything is made up of atoms. Atoms are in turn made up of protons, neutrons, and electrons. Now, protons have a positive charge, and neutrons are neutral, and electrons have a negative charge. So all the material in the, in the universe um, is made up of those sort of three fundamental building blocks, protons, neutrons, and, and electrons. So a neutron star is a star that's made up entirely of neutrons. And they're incredibly dense. Um, and it's as if you took the, a star of regular size, like a little bit bigger than our sun, and shrunk it down to about uh, the size of a city. That would be... Um, so you take all this mass and you put it into this very, very dense ball that's about the size, uh, the size of a city. A teaspoon of it would weigh more than a mountain uh, for a good comparison. Um, and if you had like a little chunk of it in your hand, the gravitational attraction between the Earth and that little chunk in your hand would be so strong that it would literally, the chunk would go diving through, punching holes through the Earth back and forth. Um, because it was so dense. Now, so then the second question is, well, how does how do we generate such a bizarre object that's made entirely of neutrons? Now, a neutron star is, is one of three type of objects that stars um, become when they die. So stars have lifetimes sort of like people. Their stars are born, uh, they live out their lives burning hydrogen into helium uh, or into higher level elements. And then when they exhaust all the fuel um, in their cores, they then, uh, they then die, and they become what are known as compact objects. And so a neutron star is, is one of the more, is, a, is, a, is the leftover compact object after a, a relatively large star, a, lar a star much larger than, 
uh, in our sun reaches the end of its life. And what happens is that the, the star um, basically implodes on itself when it runs out of fuel and creates an explosion uh, that we call a supernova explosion. And after that, and that explosion basically blows away um, most of the mass of the star. Um, but what's left um, is this very, very dense core where all the protons, neutrons, and electrons that were in the core are then converted into just neutrons. And so you end up with this very, very dense compact object. That's really interesting. I did not know that at all. But before we get on to our third and final round of the day, I have another cheesy joke for you all. Let's bring it. What's an astronaut's favorite place on the keyboard? A space bar. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, my canned laughter is the best. Well, I have a cool fun fact. Kind of like the huge crater on Mars, there is a canyon that is ten times bigger than the Grand Canyon. Imagine going there for a vacation. Oh, that'd be pretty hard, seeing as it takes a very long time to get to Mars. Depending on how the planets are aligned, it can take around seven months. And that's a long time to be in a tiny, cramped little spaceship. Yeah, it really is. I wouldn't want to do that. But then again, to be able to go to Mars seems pretty cool. What would you at home do? Go to Mars for a vacation? It would definitely be a long one. Or just stick with Earth. Send in a video recording of what you would do. But now it's time for the last round. Are you ready, Ralph? Oh boy, I think I am. All right, statement number one. There is a region on the planet Jupiter called the Great Red Spot, and scientists have concluded that it is actually a storm that has been raging on the planet for millions of years. Statement number two. Mercury has some of the most ranging temperatures in the solar system. In the day, it's about 800 degrees Celsius, and at night, the low is a whopping negative 340 degrees Celsius. And the last statement. Scientists discovered a radio signal 5 billion light years away from an unknown source. So which one do you think it is? And time's up. What's your answer? Oh, this, okay, this is a, this is a tough one. Um, I think I'm going to go with number two, mercury and the range of temperatures. Okay, that is incorrect. Oh. So why did you choose that answer? Okay, so, um, so actually I'm curious to know what the right answer is for this one. <laughs> The right answer is actually the last one. Scientists did uh, discover a signal from 5 billion light years away. Okay, so I, I was kind of waffling between the second one and the last one. Um, I was pretty sure that the first one was not right because, uh, because there is a region on the planet Jupiter called the Great Red Spot, and it is a storm. Um, but one of the big questions in planetary astronomy and, and in research in Jupiter in, in general is how long that storm has actually existed uh, on Jupiter. Uh, and so I think that's still a matter of debate. And so I, I'm not sure that it's it's been there for millions of years. So I was pretty sure that one was not right. 
Um, I know that, that the temperatures on Mercury are extreme. I know that the daytime temperature is very high and the nighttime temperature is very low, but I couldn't remember exactly the numbers. So I just kind of, so I'm figuring that one of those numbers is probably not, not quite right. Um, and then uh, for the last question, you know, scientists discovering radio signals 5 billion light years away, that seemed very plausible to me, um, but just, I, but I wasn't really sure, you know, radio signals are, are off, that are come from unknown sources are often discovered, but usually they're not quite so far. And uh, sometimes, most of the time, they're usually correlated with a known source. And so I wasn't totally sure. At any rate, it seemed that the second one seemed the most plausible to me. Nice. So with the first statement, you were right. The Great Red Spot is actually a real thing, and it has been here a long time, but not quite as long as a million years, only about a few centuries. About the second statement, this one is a bit, a bit sly. Everything is correct, except for the measurements. The high is 800 degrees Fahrenheit, and same goes for the low. Yeah, so it was a bit of a tricky one. We switched Fahrenheit with Celsius, so... <laughs> so I just realized that I that I was not paying attention to that question uh, closely enough. Minus 340 degrees Celsius, in fact, is an impossible temperature. There is no temperature that can go below minus 273 degrees Celsius. Ooh, we got him there. <laughs> so, yeah, someone needs to take away my physics, my physics degree. <laughs> nah, we should be given more time. We gave you like three seconds. <laughs> And with the last statement, it's crazy, but it's true. In 2016, scientists detected a radio signal that was indeed 5 billion light years away. We don't know what it's from. It could be a star, a black hole, or as many scientists and astronomers think, aliens. However, since this signal was sent from so far away, and we are just seeing it now, it was sent before Earth even existed. Crazy, right? Sadly, this is what prevents us from communicating with aliens, the 5 million year difference. But maybe someone, someone like you, could discover a faster, better way to talk with extraterrestrial life. So, Ralph, how do you think this game round went? Oh, it was great, except for that last one. <laughs> awesome. Now, before we sign off, I have our last fun fact of the day. The tallest volcano in our solar system is on Mars, and its width is about the size of Arizona, and it's even taller than Mount Everest. Whoa, imagine hiking up that thing. Well, guys, that's all for this episode. Wait, wait, I have an idea. What? What? Now, it's, now it's time for you two to be the contestants. What do you mean? I've made two lies and one truth uh, about my career as an astronomer, and you two will have to guess which one is real. Awesome. I'm up for the challenge. All right, so as an astronomer, uh, I've used many, many, many telescopes in my lifetime, and I've observed the sky quite a bit. And so I'm going to tell you three things, three statements, and you have to tell me which one you think is true and which, which one you think is true. Statement number one, I have never fallen asleep while observing at a telescope. Okay. Statement number two. I did not learn my constellations until I was an adult. Okay. And statement number three, I have never broken a telescope. This is hard. Yeah. Oh. Um. Do you want to hear them again? No, I think I think I got them. I think the I'm first assume... one might be a lie because it seems 
I think I would definitely fall asleep if I was up all night gazing at stars. So I don't really know about you, but I feel like that's Me something too. I would and do. I feel like, I don't know, I don't mean to be rude or anything, <laughs> but I feel like you'd be the type of person who would accidentally break a telescope. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I'm going to guess the second one or the one in the middle. I think I'm going to go with that but, one too. Okay. So you're going to go with did not learn my constellations till I was an adult. Yeah. Wait. I think you might have taken something in high school, like an astronomy course in high school or something. Okay, yeah, we're going to stick with that one. You're going to stick with it? Did not learn constellations till I was an adult. Yeah. yeah. And you are... <laughs> Correct! Oh, wow! Good job. Almost, almost every astronomer that I know has has napped at the telescope <laughs> observing. That that just happens. A lot of times we we're just sitting. Usually when we're observing the night sky, we're sitting in a little control room <laughs> and uh, watching a computer screen. And usually when it gets to be like two or three o'clock in the morning, um, you know, you learn to take little micro naps in between your observations. So almost <laughs> everybody will sleep just a little bit um, while they're observing. Um, and I have indeed broken a telescope one night, and I had to repoint it by hand by aiming at the moon. Um, that was an embarrassing. Uh, that was an embarrassing night for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I did not learn my constellations until I was forced to teach them to somebody else. So that was in graduate school. I finally sat down with a book and learned all my constellations so that I could teach them to undergraduates. Nice. Thanks so much for joining us today. And before this episode ends. You know what time it is. I have one last joke. Why did the sun not go to college? Because it already had millions of degrees. <laughs> it never gets old. We'll see you next time on... Brain Candy! for joining us here on our podcast um we've definitely enjoyed having you you basically got all three questions right the last one was it was a little tricky but i mean overall you did a, an amazing job and yeah thanks for being here well thanks so much for having me on your podcast it was super fun episode of brain candy like our podcast make sure to follow and check for new episodes every week until next time bye